Well, a new year. And we completed our series of studies that we did through the prophets in the Old Testament. And so we're starting a new series of sermons today. And I've chosen to title these series, Hope in a Shaken World. And we're going to be looking at the letters of John the Apostle, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And we're going to go through those three books in a sequential manner, uh, starting with 1st John, then 2nd, and then 3rd John. But let me begin by sharing with you what I believe to be, for me, at least a foundational belief. Uh, an understanding that for many, uh, they just don't agree, and that's their choice. Uh, but as we look at these, I believe that the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, those five books, often referred to as the Johannine literature, I believe, uh, following my mentor, Dr. Bob Lowry down at Lincoln, I believe that they were all five written by the Apostle John. I think that the early historical evidence of the early church fathers stating that John the Apostle was the writer, and, and I think that is far more significant than any difference that might be there in terms of words used, language, style, and all that. And, and I come to that because I've read some of my own writing. And I realize that when I am writing to a particular audience... I use different words and write totally different than I do when I'm writing for a different audience. An example. Every year, and this coming April, uh, I will be presenting a paper be before an audience of people who are academics. Most, most of them will have their doctorate or are earning their working on their doctorate. And I promise you that my style of writing in that paper and the words that I use in that paper are different than the newsletter articles that I write. And I think that's a big significant issue in terms of, of why John would have different writing styles and terminology. But I do believe all five of those books to have been written by the Apostle John. And secular history, not just Christian history, Secular history tells us that John lived to be a hundred years old and possibly even a hundred and nine years old. And so we're talking about someone that even if he was a teenager, which is probably supposed during the life of Christ and growing into manhood, right in those years, one of the youngest of the twelve, that means that very easily... He was still alive and active uh, during this, that, these days. And, and what we know is that he was in Ephesus. And he did, in fact, have Mary, the mother of Jesus, with him, caring for her. And we also know that at one time, they tried to uh, uh, martyr him. And they got a vat of oil and had a fire under it. But the oil wasn't hot enough to kill him. All it did is burn him severely. But right up until he was not physically able, 
He still had such a desire to worship with the brothers and sisters in Christ that on the Lord's day, they would come and carry him to worship and carry him back to his residence. That's how much he longed to worship with his brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I've chosen the letters of John because it's here that I believe that we are provided some of the key beliefs that enable us to be grounded, to have hope in a world that's terribly shaken, and to find the certainty that brings us emotional stability. This message today, the first, the introduction uh, to this series, is basically that, an introduction. And I've simply titled it, That You May Know. Uh, That You May Know. And I've chosen as the text for today, just the first four verses of 1 John chapter 1. So let's read that text together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. May God add His blessing to our reading of His Word. Some have said that the purpose of John's first letter was in fact that there had been false teachers that rose up, in fact rose up out of the church itself. And and I don't question that that occurred. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 19, in speaking about that problem, John states, they went out from us. And it seems obvious that their departure resulted in debate going on in the church, uncertainty, confusion, What should we believe? It also appears that they were offering a form of teaching that was beginning to be common in that day. Gnosticism in its full form wouldn't come until later. But already the beginnings of those thoughts were circulating. And some of that was that it was possible to know God apart from and even while denying that Jesus is the divine Son of God. Now, does that sound familiar? Isn't that the same belief of those who maintain that all religions lead to the same God? That you can somehow get to God and know God apart from Jesus? Isn't that the same teaching that we heard uh, recently, real recently, uh, professed recently by Pope Francis, otherwise known as Orge Mario Bergoglio. Isn't that what he said when he said that all religions take us to the same God? See, in fact, they were offering a form of Christianity that was without tears. 
without suffering, pain, or even the demands for obedience. Very similar to the health and wealth gospel that's proclaimed by the televangelists. Um, and also proffered by many of those groups that you can go to Barnes and Noble and there's a whole section on New Age cults uh, and the teachings of some of those various groups that, why? Be happy. Uh, that, that seems to be one of the mantras. Be happy. Whatever it takes. Uh, and you know, that's... Uh, that's something that just isn't what we find in 1 John. John Stott makes the point that actually what he thinks John's, the apostle's first concern was, it was not to confront those false teachers, nor even to come confound them in any way. His concern was that of a pastor. The desire to protect his sheep. The desire to encourage those who would read his writings. Because the believers were struggling. They were struggling with what was being taught in those debates. Struggling with uncertainty. Struggling with confusion. And John knew just how damaging that could be to the believers. To their emotional stability. To their health as a congregation. And you know what? Uncertainty is damaging. Let me repeat that. Uncertainty is damaging. In an article written by Julie Beck, it appeared in The Atlantic, and it was titled, How Uncertainty Fuels Anxiety. An inability to live with life's unknowns can lead to worry and distress. That was the title. And in that, she reveals just how much we fight against uncertainty every day as a part of who we are. In fact, it's our nature to prefer certainty over uncertainty, even if it involves pain. Here's what she writes. As a rule, humans prefer certainty to uncertainty. Studies have shown that people would rather definitely get an electric shock now than maybe be shocked later. In other words, what they did with the study is they hooked them up to probes. And they said, okay, you want us to shock you right now or you just want us to wait and see if it's going to happen or not? And after a short bit of time, they were all saying, go ahead, shock me, get it over with. And what they found was that they actually showed greater nervous system activity when waiting for that unpredictable shock or other unpleasant stimulus. More so than for an unexpected one. And the only place where those people differed was the degree to which the uncertainty bothered them. And let me give you a personal example. And Mark, your people are going to experience this. When I get ready for any kind of medical procedure, I'm crazy. I'm cracking jokes because I'm nervous. Now, 
It's not the pain per se. It's the anticipatory grief. The idea that it might be worse than I can even imagine. Because most of the time, my dentist knows, if they're not going to be right on the nerve, I don't like the feeling of anesthetics. And so I'll tell him, now you go ahead and drill and fill, but you know, as long as you don't have to be on the nerve, don't give me those shots because there's just something about going blah, 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 blah and having drool running down your face that is not pleasant for me. It's not the pain. I've sewed myself up two different times when I got cut bad. But still, if I go to the dentist or if I go to the doctor, I'm nervous. And that's what we're talking about. That uncertainty. And so that's why I want us to look at what the Bible says about how we can be certain. And I think you need to know, first of all, why I've chosen John's writings. And there's some very general reasons why I believe that the letters of John are important to us. Why I chose to use the letters of John as a source for stability, for certainty in this shaken world in which we live. And the first of those reasons why the letters are important for us, the first of those reasons is that these letters address some very contemporary questions. Questions that you will hear and you will see splashed all over the news on a regular basis. Such as, does it really matter what a person believes? Such as, I already mentioned, can God be known apart from Jesus Christ? Those questions that we are seeing and hearing about now in our world are answered by John. Secondly, John speaks with certainty to us to help us address what I believe can be identified uh, as, how do I want to say it, intentional vagueness? I mean, people tend to find comfort from teachers and preachers who are willing to say things like, oh, it doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere. Really? Really? I think John would say, and I think we'll see this, that you can be sincerely wrong. Sincerity's not a test. John doesn't pull any punches. Let me give you just one example. In chapter 2, verse 4, we're going to come to this uh, two weeks from now. John says, Whoever says, I know him, talking about knowing God, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. You hear what he's saying? He's saying if there's somebody out here who says, oh, I'm a Christian, I know God, but they don't follow the commands of his teachings, they don't follow the Bible, John says, they're a liar. That's pretty bold, that's pretty blunt, that's pretty straightforward. That's not very politically correct, is it? But that's the kind of certainty we find. Third, and I shared this in my newsletter article. I I think those have gotten out. um, But if not, are are they back here? They're back here and the rest of them are going in the mail tomorrow. Okay. In my newsletter article, you're going to read that my prayer for us as a congregation 
is that as we go through this series of sermons, as we study these letters together, then you're going to discover, as a part of this search, you're going to discover that with a little bit of effort, we can grow so that our true hope, based on true faith, will be demonstrated by true love in all that we say and do. John offers some very practical tests. And those tests, for instance, one of them is a a theological test for determining true belief. There's another test, and we're going to look at these again in a few weeks, that defines true obedience and true righteousness, a moral test. And even a, a, a real social test that has to do with true love. And these are all there to help us have certainty. Another reason I chose these letters of John has to do with the very reasons that John gives for writing. We already came across one of these as we read verses 1 to 4. With basically the same phrase with just a little bit of a variation. We're introduced to three things as to why John wrote. Chapter 1, verse 4 that we wrote, he said, we are writing these things so that... Chapter 2, verse 1, he'll say, I am writing these things to you so that... Chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe that you may... He wants us to know why He is writing to us. And so what is it that John desires for us? Well, the first thing is to make sure that our joy is complete. Seriously. Don't you think that that's a message that needs to be heard today? I mean, do you really believe that people go to happy hour because they're just all filled with glee. I've been in those places during happy hour for 16 years as a police officer when I didn't necessarily want to go. And what I experienced was not a lot of people that were really happy. It was a lot of people who were lonely and desperate and searching for relationship. Here's my question. Don't you know as many, if not more people, that are struggling with depression on a regular basis than those who are not? And of all the requirements for social distancing, you know what that's resulted in? It's resulted in people being isolated from meaningful contacts with friends and family. I know that my sister that I shared with you about, I know because I spoke with some of the family that even though she was in her 80s, they said normally she would have had the strength to overcome anything once she had her mind to it. But they are convinced that because of the many, many that she said, counting the number of days that she had been in that health facility quarantined from family and friends, 
They know that her spirits were down and her ability to fight off diseases was in fact increased. I read an article. I've been reading too much probably in this regard. I I need to get back to the things that I need to be reading and forget about COVID and and just let it go. Uh, But I read an article uh, by David Gunnell. He's an expert uh, at the University of Bristol in the area of studying suicide. And in the June issue of The Lancet, he wrote this, Suicide is likely to become a more pressing concern as the pandemic spreads and has longer-term effects on the general population, the economy, and vulnerable groups. The pandemic will cause distress and leave many people vulnerable to mental health problems and suicidal behavior. Mental health consequences are likely to be present for longer and peak later than the actual pandemic itself. Are you hearing what he's saying? I'm hearing it's time for us as the church to step it up a notch. To be there. To make those calls. To reach out. Man, wasn't it a blessing to hear Mark in prayer time say that they made a call and found out that Wanda was without power and took her to make sure that she was okay and then got her back after that? That's the kind of thing we need to be doing as the church. Why do you think it is that suicide's going to increase and peak even later? I think it's because we have failed to proclaim sufficiently the message of hope and the message of rejoicing. True hope based on true faith that produces true love as we reach out to others. John wants us to know that there are reasons for us to be rejoicing. (coughs) But secondly... Well, let me go back first. I'm just thinking of a passage from Philippians. Remember when Paul was in prison and he's writing letters to the people at Galatia and and Ephesus and Philippi? He wrote those while he was in prison. And prison in that day was nothing like it is today. It was basically a hole in the wall with bars over it and that became their latrine. That was where their food was thrown down into. And while he was a prisoner, he wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. That was, by the way, uh, uh, President Apple. uh, That was his text for his sermon, for his funeral service. Rejoice. Let your reason be known to everyone. But he's also writing, he says, so that we won't sin. That's right. He says, I am writing to you so that you will not sin. I get tired of hearing people when somebody is acting like a fool. I get tired of hearing people say, well, you know, they're just human. No! That's not what the Bible says. 
The Bible says we're not just human. We're made in the image of God. And the Bible says that when people are acting like that, they're not acting like human. They're acting like they are wild animals failing to control themselves. Now we're going to unpack that some more in a couple of weeks. But John says it's possible for us to continue growing and weeding out things in our life and getting sin out of our lives will never be perfect. And John doesn't say that. In fact, he, he also says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. But he says that we should be getting rid of sin. It shouldn't be a thing of, well, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's a habit I can't get rid of. No. We have to, by means of the Spirit, start growing. But, not only does He say that we're not to sin and we're to be in control. Third, He says that He's written these letters because He wants us to know with certainty that we have eternal life. And again, I shared earlier, he's not saying once saved, always saved. Nor is, in, nor is John, in fact, uh, admitting that there aren't sins. In fact, he says himself, he says there is a sin that leads to death. And he doesn't even advise people to pray for that sin. Now, hear me out. I'm never going to stop praying for anybody that I know who is caught up in sin and a sinful way of life uh, and that cycle that can come of that. But here's the point that I want to make this morning more than anything else just to kind of prepare us for getting into these letters. And, and 1 John's only five chapters I'm reading it every day, once a day, every day, until we get done with it, 2 John and 3 John. But here's the point I want us to hear. In an age where relativism is the mantra, the mantra of the day, while you believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe and can't we all just get along? That's not even the true definition of tolerance. Tolerance is correctly defined that you and I can come to a point where we understand that we don't agree with one another and you know that I don't agree with what you believe and you don't agree with what I believe. I know that. But we agree to treat each other as people, as humans, even though we don't agree with each other. You'll hear people say, well, there's no absolute truth. How ridiculous is that? Isn't the statement, there is no absolute truth, an absolute truth statement? I mean, it's a basic logic fallacy to even say something that stupid. That's like somebody said to me one day, I'm an atheist, I don't believe there's a God. I said, so you're God. And they said, what do you mean? 
I said, well, the only way you can know that there is no God is if you know everything. And so by definition, if you know everything, then you're God. Again, it's a logical fallacy to even try to say that there is nothing. If I said that there's a penny hidden in this room, and you said, no, there's not, I don't believe that. What would you have to do to prove that there's not a penny in this room? You'd have to search every single nook and cranny of this whole room, wouldn't you? And you'd have to believe that you didn't miss a single point. That there's no area outside of where you searched that that penny could be. And so it is with a belief in God. It's a logical fallacy to say you're an atheist. You're much more intelligent to say you're agnostic. John says, no. No, he says there is true truth. And he closes his little letter by saying that the Son of God, namely Jesus Christ, is the true and eternal life. An absolute statement. So let me conclude in this way. My focus for the coming weeks is going to be on Christian growth. Because I truly believe that it's only as we become mature Christians that we reach our intended goals. Not stopping points along the way. I have plants in my office. Sometimes I have plants brought to me. Kay brought a plant to me one time. My wife brought a plant to me one time. Because those plants had stopped growing. And when those plants stop growing, what's it mean? Death is just around the corner. When you and I stop growing, death is just around the corner. And to this day, those plants that have been brought to me, I've nurtured back to life and returned them to their owners, or in my wife's case, refused to give it back to her because I didn't want to see her do that again to that plant. But my focus is going to be on how we can grow so that we can reach our intended goals. And then, then when we get some of that information that John gives to us, we can't stop growing, but we can relax a little bit in the certainty and hope of our beliefs. Paul would write that this is the purpose God gave in had in giving the various gifts. Ephesians chapter 4. Autumn read just a few verses after this. In verses 11, and I had no idea what she was reading this morning. But in verses 11 to 13 of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, And he, that is God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. For what purpose? To equip the saints, that's you and me, that's not some holy people who have already died who we have a statue of. We are the saints. Paul writes to the saints at Corinth. That's a term. The called out ones, the holy ones, the ones who have separated themselves. To those people who have been given those gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. 
So what's the work you are supposed to be doing as well as I am? Ministry. We are all to be ministers. And for what purpose? For building up the body of Christ. For building up one another. I love it. When I have people that have called me and say, hey, everything okay? I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I love it when people say, hey, you said this, and I'm reading this passage, and we can sit down and discuss it and talk about it. Because you know what? Even though I'm 67, I have changed my mind about some things. My son Eric has pointed me in directions that has caused significant change in me over the last year and a half. Why do we want to build up the body of Christ? Paul goes on. Because we all need to attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature, to mature personhood. To the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's to be our goal. To keep eliminating sin to reach that goal. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm stating a fact. When I decided it was time for me to get serious and lose weight, I started by walking just a few blocks out and back at first. Now, the other night we went out and Jesse walked two miles and I can, and then decided to continue with me and we went on around Fran and Percy's house behind the fire department and turned it into 3.2 and I was still ready to go some more but it had been a long day. We got up at 2.15 in the morning to take Eric to the airport in Indianapolis. Um, that was a long day, even with a short nap. But I, I've maintained certain things and part of that is cutting out a little bit more and a little bit more as I realize I've plateaued. I've got to step it up. Because we've got to reach that goal. Now, Jesse and I are starting again tomorrow morning. And I hope you start with us. Kay, I forgot to bring them in here. They're laying out there on the table. Uh, before we close, uh, would you go out and get them so that everybody that wants one can be given one? I have made a plan for us as a congregation to read through the Word of God this year. And it's set up so that there are only passages on Monday through Friday. That gives you Saturday and Sunday to catch up if you missed one of those days, Monday to Friday. And it's, it's going to take us all the way from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 21 this year. So that we as a church are reading God's Word together. And there's a little box where you can actually mark off the little square when you've read that passage. So that if something happens where you get a week behind, you can get caught up and we can read through God's Word together. Because unless we know God's Word, we will not know God's will. I get really frustrated with people who say, well, 
I know what God's Word says, but I feel... I'm sorry, but you know, it has really nothing to do with our feelings. It doesn't matter how much we feel something is right for us if it opposes what God's Word says. So, you get this folder. And inside this folder are this, these pages where you just mark it off. The date and the passage to read through God's Word this year. Because in order for us to change, in order for us to change on an individual level, in order for us to change as a congregation, we have to strive to reach a different level of understanding. We have to become disciples. Which is really what conversion is all about. There is no such thing as Jesus being your Savior if He is not the Lord of your life and you are not a follower, a disciple. Sorry. The Great Commission itself says, as you are going into all the world, it doesn't say make converts. It says make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and lo, I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. So that's my prayer. Would you join with me in praying this morning?